Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. thriving in a post-COVID world. It's been a day of sessions to equip us in our businesses and careers, and we're just about to start our final session for the day. But in the session that we had just before the break, it was on interview skills, and we learned that we should use the STAR technique, which is situation, task, action, and results to sell ourselves. We also learned that an interview is a two-way conversation. Now, after the session, we will have a question and answer segment. Um, so if you have any questions, please send them directly to me and we will address them in the question and answer section. Our next session is on how to start a business successfully, and it will be taken by Bibi Clement. Bibi is a mature, well-seasoned Christian who has been involved in church leadership for 30 years. During those years, she has had the honor of serving in various parts of the body of Christ in different capacities, including worship leader, head of community affairs, youth leader, etc. She currently serves as minister and is a part of the preaching and teaching team at her local church, Divine Life Assembly. Bibi has a specific mandate to teach the body of Christ how to create, grow, and protect wealth. Bibi's teaching in this area is refreshingly undergirded with a strong sense of integrity and financial matters. And that is what she's going to be talking to us about today. So Bibi, over to you. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon. Uh, and welcome to How to Start a Small Business Successfully. Uh, guys, I know it's been a really long day, so I'm going to be moving as fast as possible. Um, I, I know you've got other things that you need to do, so I'm going to be whizzing through this. And I have asked to be prompted uh, when I'm nearer the time. So if, if, um, if somebody interjects, they're not being rude, they're just trying to hurry me along. Okay, so welcome to How to Start a Small Business Successfully. Um, You've been told a little bit about me, so I'm not going to bore you with any more of that. Um, but just to say that my husband and I run a group of small companies which range over a number of industries. Um, our background is law, so we have a, um, a commercial law firm in South London. We um, own a, um, a legal magazine called Law Digest that caters for um, African lawyers globally, an HR consultancy, uh, business, business management consultancy, and a couple of other companies. Um, and the reason why I, I mentioned these is because I think it's important for you to know that all that I'm going to teach today or share with you today is not theoretical. It, it's things that we have learned and indeed continue to learn along the way. So it's a lot of been there, done that. And hopefully some of the mistakes that we've made will be able to, I'll be able to share with you so that you don't have to make the same mistakes and you can establish that business successfully. Um, can I just ask for a, a real quick favor? I've got my website details on there. Um, I'm also the author of How to Go from Employee to Entrepreneur, which I'll be sharing with you a little bit more about later. Um, that sold over 5,000 copies, and I, I will let you know how you can get that later on. Uh, but for the moment, can I just ask that you take a, a couple of minutes and just connect with me online right now? Um, my Twitter handle, as you can see, is at BB Clement, and my Instagram is BB underscore Clement. And if you're a LinkedIn kind of person, just put in my name and I will come up. 
And the reason why I ask you to do that, believe me, it's not because I'm looking for more followers, but it's because I'm always putting stuff out there that will really help you in your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, not just in your entrepreneurial journey, but your life's journey as a whole. There'll be lots of stuff that I'm, I'll, I'll throw out there that will definitely help you. So please take a couple of minutes right now, if you can, to connect with me online. And I thank you while you do that. Hmm. Okay, let's go. So um, I was listening to the gentleman who spoke earlier today, and he was talking about your why. And I'm a very, very strong advocate for, for getting a hold of your why. Because I think if people understand the why behind doing something, the how becomes secondary. So I just really want to talk about why do we even have to have start a business? What, what's the point? You know, you might be trucking along in your job and you think, I like my job. Uh, I'm earning six figures. So why, why do I even have to start a business? But I want to show you something um, that might help concentrate the mind slightly. And you'll know who this is when you see him. Okay, so um, you remember, I'm sure, um, Sir Philip Green and the whole BHS scandal, apologies, and the whole BHS scandal. Now, the BHS was a part of the Arcade Group and Sir Philip Green purchased it in 19, I think 1991. And um, as you know, BHS was a, was, um, a UK gem in the marketplace. The UK were very proud of it. And what he and his um, friends proceeded to do after they purchased BHS was to raid the pension pot. And um, after raiding the pension pot for a number of years to the tune of, I think there was a deficit of over 500 million, as at the time he sold it, when he sold it, he sold it to a friend of his, Mr. Chappell, for one pound. I think Mr. Chappell has since gone to jail for his role in this scandal. Uh, he sold it to him for one pound. Now, the day before they were going to um, release this story, the press contacted Sir Philip Green and told him that they were going to release the story. Basically, they do that to you so that you can have an opportunity to defend yourself or apologize or you know show some kind of remorse. Sir Philip Green chose that day, none other, to uh, go to his um, yacht, the Lionheart, that's his Lionheart on the right-hand side, the Lionheart is one of three yachts that he owns. This was the latest in his fleet. This cost him a hundred million pounds. And he decided on, the, on that day, the day that they were gonna break this story, that he was going to sun himself, wine and dine himself on the deck of his yacht. I think he actually threw a party on that day on his yacht. Uh, so basically he was saying, I don't care. That's basically what he was saying. Now, why is that important for you if you are an employee? And I'll show you. The collapse of the BHS cost over 9,000 employees their jobs. 9,000 employees. I want you to think about that for a moment. 9,000 employees. Let's say half of them had a mortgage. How are they gonna pay their mortgage? Now you might be thinking, well, probably they'll have savings, really? The banking industry tell us that the average UK adult has less than 500 pounds in their bank account at any given time. The average UK banker. So let's say 4,500 of them, you know, might not be able to pay their mortgage. Let's say a quarter of them have children in, in um, private school. How are they going to pay their school fees? 
And I really want to ask you the question now. If you were made redundant today, and I'm asking this question because sometimes we're in denial about our financial situation. We call it faith. As people of God, we call it faith, but we're actually in denial about our financial situation. If you were made redundant today, particularly those of you who are of my generation who are older, over 50 and older, how long could you go without having to borrow any money and still meet your financial obligations? I really want you to think about that for a couple of minutes. How long could you go, in all honesty, without having to borrow? Somebody said to me the other day that that's actually a good measure of how rich you are, how long you could go without your job, <laughs> without a salary. So think about that for a moment. Now, I want you to have a look at this picture. And if you can take a screenshot, please do. That's the employee on the left. And that's the business owner on the right. Apologies. That's the employee on the left, and that's the business owner on the right. It's important that you keep that picture in mind. Now, baby, what are you saying? Are you saying that tomorrow I should slam my resignation letter on my boss's desk? No. But what I'm saying is that in these times, if you are not an owner in the marketplace, you are an outsider. That is the truth. And as an outsider, you're, you are perpetually vulnerable in the marketplace. And you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're vulnerable. And one of the ways in which you stop that vulnerability is to ensure that you have different income streams. The average millionaire has at least seven different income streams at any given time. So there is no way you and I can survive on a single one, i.e. our salary. And having a business is a good source of income. Okay. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to all unmute. So I'd like us to say this together. I think it's important. It helps concentrate the mind somewhat. And I'm just laying a foundation. I'm going to get to it. Don't worry. Okay. After three, I'd like us to say this together. Are we good? Is everybody unmuted? Okay. I'll wait. Yep. Okay. After three. After three. One, two, three. Let's go. I can, I can no longer single-handedly serve my employer. Now take an active step to create well. Thank you very much. You can mute again. Thank you. All right. So why start a business? Okay. Why start a business? One of the reasons why I, I advocate for for a small business is because. Um, for instance, in America, less than 20% of the workforce own their own company. But those that do, that do constitute more than two-thirds of the millionaires. I'm going to say that again because I think that's important. Less than 20% of the workforce own their own company. But those that do constitute more than two-thirds of the millionaires. What does that mean? It means that there is a direct correlation between wealth creation and owning a small business, okay? Now, a lot of people think that their problem is money. It's not. Your problem is not money. Because believe me, resources without strategy equals poverty. Money is not the problem. Knowing what to do with the money is the issue. Now, a, a, a few years ago, somebody asked me to come and speak on a particular issue. I did a bit of research into um, people who have won the lottery. And I was shocked to discover that um, over 80% of people who win the lottery are flat broke within five years. 
And when I say flat broke, I mean they're in a worse position than they were prior to winning the lottery. And the reason for that is because resources without a strategy equals poverty. If you don't know what to do with the money, putting money in your hand is a waste of time. So starting a small business is a good source of an additional income. Okay. So let's have a quick look at some of the things that stand in people's way when they want to start a business. One, funding. And again, I, I remember, was it wasn't a couple of days ago, I put something on Twitter regarding starting a, a, a small business. And a guy um, sent me, wrote this response, a very aggravated response that, you know, people like you are always talking about starting a business, but what you don't seem to understand is that we can't find access to funding, blah, blah, blah. Can I tell you that if you have a good idea and your idea is well market researched, such that it can stand up to scrutiny, the funding will come. So don't worry about that. The money follows the funding. There are people who are sitting around waiting to put their money to work. And if you have a good idea and it stands up to scrutiny, I can assure you the funding will come. I have a group of investors that I work with and occasionally I, I set up like a, a Dragon's Den type event whereby um, budding entrepreneurs can pitch to them. Um, so that's not, a, that's not a, a, an excuse. There is funding in our community. I know some people think that there isn't, but there is, believe me, there is. So um, funding is not your issue. Second thing is the skills and knowledge gap. I would strongly discourage you from going into a business that you don't know anything about. Just because your best friend is doing it and she looks like she's making money is not a reason for you to go into that business. That's your best friend. That might be what God has called her to do and has nothing to do with what you are called to do. So you need to go into an industry, particularly initially, in a business that you understand. So whatever you need to do to get information in that industry, do it. So it might be that you keep coming to events like this. It might be that you invest in yourself and you buy a whole lot of books, which is what I had to do when I started speaking like this. Or um, whatever it is you need to do, you might even have to go back to uni. Don't let that deter you. So you might be thinking, oh, baby, man, I'm, I'm already 38. If I go back to uni, that's another three years. I'll be what? I'll be 41 by the time I finish. I, I, can't, I can't do that. I don't have three years to, to spend like that. So my response to that kind, of, that, that kind of thinking is always, well, if you don't do it, in three years' time, how old are you going to be? You're still going to be 30, you're still going to be 41, minus the, the degree, minus the information that would have armed you to make yourself more valuable in the marketplace. Because that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. It's about making yourself valuable in the marketplace. So a skills and knowledge gap, no longer an excuse. Let's throw that one out of the park. Marketing. Marketing is really important. Many of us have a good product, but we don't know how to market. And if you don't know how to market, you will not sell. It's that simple. And I'm going to speak a little bit about marketing in a moment, particularly online marketing. But this is the one that I find is the biggest hindrance, fear. And even though we say that we're people of God and people of faith, and we're walking by faith and not by sight, when it comes to starting a business, ladies and gentlemen, I have never met a group of more fearful people than the people of God. Fear. Supposing I do it and I lose money, so what? Supposing I do it and I fail, so what? There is no one that has become successful in business 
that did not fail along the way. Do you think everything that Richard Branson put his hands to do, he was successful at? I think um, Virgin Cola has disappeared. I think Virgin Brides has gone away. I'm not sure about uh, Virgin Jim. I don't know if that still exists. But everybody that's successful in business fails somewhere along the way. The, the important thing is you get up, you learn the lesson, you dust yourself off and you try again. So don't let fear stop you. Now, having said that, I'm not advocating that you, you um, immediately jack in your job and then go and start a business. You, if, you have, if your faith is that great, then fine. Uh, but I've, I've tried that before and I paid dearly for that. So I, I, I don't necessarily advocate that. But you can have a transition plan that will tide you over between the time that you decide that, yes, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be an employee for the rest of my life and the time that you actually start the business. And in these times, the majority of us are working from home. Fantastic opportunity, because you can do things now that you couldn't necessarily do while you were stuck in an office in the nine to five, okay? So don't let fear uh, deter you, okay. Right, so sometimes people say to me, Bibi, um, I wanna go into business, but I don't know what kind of business to do. So for me, ladies and gentlemen, this is the most important um, part of the, the webinar. And um, it says, what business can I do? I wanna spend a bit of time here because as people of God, we are not like the world. Uh, we, we dance to the beat of a different drummer. Now, I remember in Luke, uh, Jesus said, why are you looking for me? Don't, don't you know that I have to be about my father's business? And I think it would be good for us to take um, our cue from him. We should be about our father's business. What is your father's business? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. This is your father's business. Feeding the hungry, uh, quenching the thirst of those who are thirsty, um, being loving and kind to the stranger, clothing the naked. Now, why am I saying this? Because this is what every Christian business should be doing. It should be a vehicle for Jesus to be able to touch the world and say, I love you. This is what your business is about. I don't care what industry you're in, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're selling uh, lingerie, whatever it is that you're doing, this should be the sublimal call, the foundational call on your life in relation to your business. And so I often, I always advocate, and this is something that I do, is when you decide that you're going to go into a particular business, you need to spend time with the Holy Spirit. Get on your face before God. Say, Lord, I know that you've called me to be a wealth creator, business person, entrepreneur, whatever it is. But Lord, I really want you to use this business to build the kingdom. And you see, a lot of us make a mistake. We, we chase the money. Whereas the Bible has already told us how kingdom principles work. You build the kingdom first and everything else is added on. When I remember this, the story of Peter, Peter gave his boat to Jesus first. And you remember he had toiled all night and caught nothing. He didn't have to. When Jesus asked him, he could have said, look, I've just had a really bad night. I'm not feeling too great. I want just want to go home and watch some Netflix. 
and then come back again tonight and fish. But he gave his boat to Jesus so that Jesus could use it for kingdom stuff. And when he had helped Jesus build his kingdom, Jesus had no choice but to help him build his. Jesus showed him where the fish were because the fish had been hiding all night. But Jesus showed him where the fish were and he had never had such a level of success in his business as he did after he first built the kingdom with his business. And you must do the same. Now, one of the things that I have discovered is that kingdom principles, they work for those who don't even know Christ. When I was researching some successful businesses, I found that businesses who are built upon this ethos, now they may not necessarily say this is a Christian business, but they have this ethos of serving mankind with their business, always, always do well. Look at someone like Starbucks. Starbucks, if you go and read their ethos and their, their, their strap line, their motto, Starbucks says, we're not about selling coffee. We are about lifting the human spirit, lifting and inspiring the human spirit, one community, one person, one cup at a time. And see how they've revolutionized the whole coffee space with that ethos. Before, uh, for those of you who are old enough to remember, for, before Starbucks came along, coffee shops were very when you picked your, you slammed the money down on the counter and you left. But they changed all that. Even the decor says, stay a while, take the load off your feet, sit down, relax. Let's nurture you. Let's strengthen you before you go out there again. That's why schools are bringing in children to come and have story time. Because of their ethos. And as people of God, we're supposed to be leading the way with that. Okay, I'll get off that one. So my picture seems to have disappeared, but that's fine. As long as you can hear me, that's fine. So what business can I do? Let's go to the practicalities of it. Sometimes people say to me, Bibi, you know what? I've even got the money, but I have no idea what I should do. So here, this is what I did. And hopefully if you do the same, it will give you some ideas. So I got out a sheet of paper and I made three columns. And in the first column, as you can see on the left-hand side, let's go from left to right. On the left-hand side, it says gifts and talents. Uh, and the gentleman who spoke earlier spoke about this. Write down all your gifts and talents. I think that this is something that we are is greatly underutilized in the body of Christ. I actually believe that God wants us to monetize, to learn how to monetize our gifts and our talents. Don't um, look down or, or um, look down upon the gifts that you have. So you might be thinking, man, all I know how to do is cook. Yes, but it's the same cook that Nigella Lawson cooked and has become a, a, a worldwide no, name. It's the same cooking that, what's the other guy, um, whoever is cooking and has become a, a household name. So don't look down on, on your, your giftings. They may not seem much to you, but they can change somebody else's life. Then make another column, your knowledge and your experience. Write down everything you know in any area that you know it. Doesn't matter how long this takes or how long your list is. Just write it all down. And again, don't underestimate what you know. It might seem something minute to you, but I'm telling you, somebody out there will pay for it. Thank God we're in the information age. We're in the age of knowledge. People want to know. They're hungry to know. Doesn't matter what it is. A friend of mine went through a very bitter divorce. 
an unexpected and very bitter divorce. And uh, for quite a while, she it took her a while to get her act together. She went through a stage of depression and, you know, took her a while to, to get it together. But when she got it together, she got it together big time. And now she teaches other women, other women how to have life beyond divorce, how to get themselves together, get up uh, and still fulfill, uh, have a fulfilled life, irrespective of the fact that they are divorced. Now that knowledge at the time she was going through that, she had no idea that anybody will be willing to pay for that. But now she's, she's has sold out seminars. She does coaching sessions. She's written a book about it make a lot of money from that experience. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be a positive experience, but people are willing to pay for what you know, okay? So these are some of the things that I knew or I know that I, I was you know, thinking about that might be able to, I might be able to monetize. Um, the undergirding thing should be passion. And again, um, that was spoken about, I think a couple of times earlier today, passion has got to undergird every anything that you decide to go into. Why? Because passion is a force in itself. It is a driving force of itself. And passionate people are really difficult to ignore. So if you are passionate about your product, that has done half your marketing, believe me, because people see the fire in your eyes that reflects the fire in your belly and they want a bit of what you've got. They want it. So passion is great, but passion is also important in business because um, there are a lot of dark nights in business, a lot of dark nights, um, but your passion sees you through. It pulls you through the bad times. It helps you see beyond the closed doors, the no's, the not now's and all that. It helps you see beyond all that. Passion drives. So go into a business that you are passionate about. What is it that you would do? Somebody said earlier, if you did, if all your bills were paid and you didn't have the family obligations, what would make you get up in the morning and go? That is what you should go into. Okay. Uh, if you have any questions, please put them in the chat and I think they will tell me about them later on and I'll answer them. Um, very quickly, I just want to um, have a quick look at some of the things that we can be looking at post COVID. Now, uh, as you know, the, the whole marketplace has changed globally, as you know, you don't need me to tell you that. Uh, but we need to be start thinking beyond COVID because no matter what, COVID is not going to last forever. So we need to start thinking beyond COVID. Now, th th these, are, these are areas that I've been looking at, I've been researching, so that these are not necessarily, don't take this as gospel, this is just things that I've been researching, and this is my personal view as to areas that you could look into if you were um, undecided as to what kind of uh, industries to go into. Food and drink, obvious. No matter what happens, we're all gonna eat and drink. Um, but even aside from the finished product, I would strongly encourage you to start thinking about things like farming. Those of you who, who um, have land back home, wherever home is, but if you have land back home or you're considering it, or if the Holy Spirit has been prompting you, then take this as your confirmation. Um, farming, I, I do see that farming is going to be, or the food chain is going to be a major issue uh, going forward. And if you look, if you watch the big boys, this is something they're getting into. I was reading recently that Bill Gates is now the, the single um, highest owner of farmland in America. That man has been quietly buying up farmland all over America for the, for the last few years. Obviously he's doing that for a reason, 
because he wants to be able to control the food chain or at least a part of it. So these are things that we need to look at. Um, but then of course the finished product, food and drink. But I think you're going to have to be innovative as to how food and drink is now presented. Um, I was listening to uh, a webinar yesterday and it was a, a wine company. And again, they were just being innovative about how they present it. So it wasn't just, oh, here's a bottle of wine. We recommend this bottle of wine. They, they were, they be, they were um, recommending wine based on people's star signs. Now, obviously, as people of God, we're not into as astrology. But for those that, that were, and the, obviously the majority of the people listening were not Christians, but those that were, this was a, a unique angle for them. And people who perhaps might not have wanted to buy uh, were very, very interested and bought into this and they sold a lot more. So again, you're going to just have to be innovative when it comes to food and drink. Um, office space facilities, as we well know, um, a lot of offices are having to give up their, their, their um, geographical location because they can't afford it anymore. Or a lot of their staff are now working from home. And in, even though I don't think that um, obviously every company is going to continue with the working from home, I, I think a lot more are going to return to in-person uh, working than we than we actually anticipate. I think they are, uh, but notwithstanding, especially the, the um, SMEs, they're going to what prefer uh, just ad hoc office space. So that would be a good a good thing to look into. Uh, we have office space, but our company provides that. And again, we are you know getting a lot more inquiries as to oh, could we just hire it for a month or could we hire it. Uh, ad hoc for meetings, that kind of thing. So that's something to look into. Logistics and supply chains. Wow. Well, where does one begin with that? Um, definitely an area to, to look into seriously because COVID, in as much as people say that COVID has um, has caused the the um, the disruptions in logistics and supply chains, I don't think that's the case. I think COVID merely exposed the, the problems that were already existent in that space. Uh, I think other things such as Brexit, um, transitions, climate-related disruptions, all the other things have had an, had an impact. Um, but one of the things that we could we found was that there was over-dependence on certain uh, countries for products, um, and the the whole chain has been about COVID-related things like PPE and masks and stuff like that. But practically every area of supply. Um, there are disruptions. So I think this would be a good area to go into. And I put HR there because those who can um, train the personnel involved in those areas uh, would also benefit. Online marketing and sales, of course, for obvious reasons, that's definitely something to, to look at. Working from home services. Now, what I mean by that is fantastic as it sounded in theory, the whole working from home thing, and some people are enjoying it. The truth is it is not work. For every type of employee, uh, some have, um, for instance, abusive um, home situations, or they have uh, people with uh, they have um, family members with mental health issues or learning disabilities and stuff like that, and it's just not conducive to work from home. And they themselves are beginning to to um, have their own problems, you know, mental health problems, feelings of isolation, disconnection, that kind of thing. So anybody who can provide services from those who are working from home, I think will make money. There's a, a particular company, I've forgotten the name of it, but a group of guys um, 
joined together recently, uh, I was reading this on Twitter, joined together recently, I think they were made redundant during the, the COVID thing and they decided to do something. And they've started supplying um, healthy snacks to employees who are working from home. So companies are buying these healthy snacks and they deliver them to employees at home uh, because they don't want you gorging out on, on, on McDonald's or pizza and that affecting your ability to do your work. And that company is now, even though this company was literally less than probably about six months old, is now in the millions. Um, so people like me are also had a lot more to, to deal with issues from working from home. I've, I have companies who are hiring me to help them with employee engagement. How do, BB, how do we keep our employees connected? How do we keep them engaged? How do we uh, make sure that they don't go off the rails sitting at home looking at their, their four, way, four walls? Can you come in and do a 15 minute motivational session for our employees maybe two or three times a week? So I'm doing all that now. Working from home services, definitely look, look into that area. And of course, EdMed, education and, and, and the medical field, what can one say? The argument for um, privatizing the National Health Service is, is, is on, the, on the table again. Um, I think you will see a lot more localized services um, that will specialize in localized services. So that also is another area to get into. Okay. Businesses don't plan to fail, they just fail to plan. Um, I'm gonna say this because the majority of us on this Zoom call are from the black community. The average UK-based black business has a lifespan from, from uh, conception to demise of five to seven years. I want you to contrast that with the average Asian-owned business that has um, a lifespan of at least a generation. So clearly we are doing something wrong. And I think a lot of what we're doing wrong has to do with this. We go into businesses, we just jump into there, we don't do any market research, and then we wonder why we fail. So market research is good, good, uh, well, time well spent. So you might be asking, Bibi, how long should I work market research? For as long as it takes. I have gone into a business where it took me two years to market research, but I'd rather spend two years market researching a, a business and then discover at the end that actually nobody wants this then just jump in there and waste my time, my energy and my money and other resources and then come to the same conclusion. So it is time well spent, don't be deterred. So the first thing that you need to be looking at is who are your customers? Let's deal with that. Who are your customers? Now you would think that that was an obvious question, but it's not. The majority of us think that the whole world is our customer and it's not true doesn't matter how universal the product you are selling, the whole world is not your customer, even if it is as universal as water, because some people like still water, some people like bubbly water, some people like flavored water, and even within the flavored water, some people prefer orange, others prefer peach, that kind of thing. So the whole world is not your customer. You need to find what we call a demographic and position yourself in that demographic and then expand the services that you can provide to the customers that you find within that demographic. Now, the next thing that you should be looking at, anybody that's in business, you need to be looking for a particular type of client and they are called a preferred client. Now, I want you to, to listen to this because this is quite important. A preferred client has two characteristics. One, they understand the value of what you are bringing. Okay, that's the first thing. They understand the value 
of what you are bringing. Two, they can pay for it. This guys, there is no point in sitting in your office and spending an hour and a half doing my spiel only to hear at the end of it, oh, baby, you know, that's really nice. That was a lovely presentation, but it's way outside our budget. There's no point. So you need to be having the conversation about money very early on. I know that a lot of us shy away from that because we think if we bring up money too quickly, um, we're going to lose the client or, or if we, you know, we, we avoid the whole topic. But that is the whole reason for being in business. You're there to make money. So the preferred client has two characteristics. Like I said, one, they understand the value of what you're bringing and two, they can pay for it. Now, understanding your value is so important because it is value that drives price. I'm going to say that again. It is value that drives price. So those of you who are in the habit of, of um, charging per hour, can I encourage you, except you are in uh, a professional, uh, a profession where it is um, dictated to you that you have to charge per hour. If not, can I ask that you move away from that mindset? What you need to do is to find out the value of what you are bringing to your client and charge accordingly. And I'll show you how you find that out. What do your clients do and where are they? What do they do? So I was, I was very interested to, to read the other day that the majority of people who go and join a gym don't actually join a gym because they want to get fit. It's hunting ground, apparently. They're looking for a date. <laughs> I didn't know this. <laughs> so let's say, for instance, I started a business whereby I was, um, it was uh, a dating agency. Where are your potential clients? Apparently down the gym. So um, having flyers at the gym would be a good thing. Or if they have, you know, sometimes they have those, um, they have those TV screens that are going while you're, you're working out. So maybe during the break, they have adverts going. So you might want to pay for an advert there. But apparently that's where your clients would be if you had, if you had a, a dating agency. Now, where are they also is uh, geographical. So for instance, if, if you were um, somebody who was um, an African, you owned an African cash and carry. So you were importing African food to the African diaspora, um, rice, Gary, beans, plantain, that kind of stuff. And if somebody said to you, oh, Bibi, I really like what you do. You know what? I've got a free shop for you in the middle of Mayfair. You can have it. Lovely as it would be to have a shop in the middle of Mayfair, it's of absolutely no use to me as an African owner of a cash and carry because my clients are not in Mayfair. My clients are in Peckham, they're in Thamesmead, they're in Stoke Newington, they're in Woolwich. So what you need to do is find out where are your clients and go and position yourself where your clients are. Now, of course, with online shopping, with the increase in online shopping, it is more important nowadays to even find out where are your clients online? Where do they visit online? And, where, and make sure that you establish yourself a strong presence there. So for instance, if you were, um, if you perhaps were designing uh, hoodies for young people, you had designer hoodies for young people. There is no point in you going to have a strong presence on LinkedIn because there ain't no young people on LinkedIn. They don't go there. Even the professional ones, very few of them 
go to LinkedIn because LinkedIn, as you well know, has quite a stuffy image. They take themselves very seriously. So if I had a company that were, I was designing hoodies, I'd be on Instagram, I'd be on Snapchat, I'd be on TikTok, I'd be on those kind of places. Even Facebook is not as popular with young people as it once was, but Facebook is still good. So you need to find out where they are and establish a presence there. And when I say, say establish a presence, you need to be posting stuff regularly, not once every three months. You need to be posting stuff regularly. So um, before I came on here, I can assure you put something for those of you who've checked, I've put something on there to say I'm speaking here today. Um, and then what you need to do is position yourself in the psyche of your clients or your potential clients as the go-to person in your industry. So what you're saying has to relate to whatever it is that you're promoting. And such the, the, the sublimal um, message is that if anybody is thinking about anything to do with what I offer, i.e. speaking about how to set up a small business or develop different income streams, my name has got to be one of the first names they think of. So you're starting debates or you're starting um, conversations online. You're contributing to things that other people are saying about your, your area that you know about. Um, you respond to comments that people make because that keeps the debate going, that keeps the conversation going. And you're just throwing stuff out there every so often. Okay, but make sure that what you're talking about relates to what you're promoting. So if you if you want to be seen as a serious minded person, for instance, like what I do in relation to um, developing different income streams, um, except it direct, I can find an angle to make it correlate to what I'm talking about. There's no point in me posting something, something showing me washing my hair. So make sure that you know what you're what you're posting relates to the image that you want to be fixed in your client's mind. Okay, what do they need? Not what do you think they need? The worst thing you can do as a business owner or, or, an, uh, or as a, uh, an, an entrepreneur is to assume to know what your clients need. What do they need? You need to find out what they need. And you will be amazed <laughs> what market research will show you. What aspect of your business are they buying? You'll be, you'll be very, very surprised that you think they're buying A, and actually it is B that is important to them. I remember, uh, I'll, I'll give an example, and I give this example in my book, actually. Um, where I live, there are about three or four Nigerian restaurants within about a five mile radius. But when I'm not in the mood for cooking and we go and eat at a Nigerian restaurant, there's a particular one that we go to and that takes me about 30 minutes to drive to. So first of all, think about that. 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back. That's about an hour of our time. And I'd say per plate is on average about five to seven pounds more expensive than the average plate of perhaps rice and plantain in, than the restaurants in my area. But I don't care because when we, in that particular restaurant, what I'm buying is I like the ambience. So I like the decor and the, the kind of people that I, I see there. So I like that. Um, the food arrives very promptly, very, very promptly. And I have a, a son who's autistic and he can't be sitting around for ages for too long. So things have to move very quickly. So um, so let's say, for instance, you were about to open a Nigerian restaurant in my area and you're thinking, oh, well, the average, um, the average plate of rice and 
plantain and restaurants in this area goes for 15 pounds. So what I'll do is I'll sell mine for 10. That will attract people. You would be mistaken because I'm actually willing to pay more. I'm actually willing to pay more. It has nothing to do with the price. So you need to find out what aspect of your business or your service is your client paying for? And only market research will show you that. Um, how can you act effectively communicate that you can meet their needs? Now, this is really important. Some of us have a great product. We really do. We have a great product, but it's not selling or it potentially will not sell if you cannot effectively communicate in the language that your client understands that you can meet their needs. Now, when I say language, of course, I'm not saying English or Swahili or Yoruba. That's not what I mean. But every demographic has certain language that, that resonates with them, that will influence them into buying your product. And if you don't use their language, they won't. So for instance, uh, one of the areas that I speak about is leadership. And there's a particular leadership package that I have that um, I, I use, I teach or I train uh, young people, young leaders, I train um, corporate leaders, so senior management. I also train um, government departments like Nigerian Armed Forces, I do leadership training for them. So this particular package is pretty much the same package that I, I give to all of them. I just tweak it accordingly, you know, depending on the audience. But when it comes to marketing that particular package, it's completely different language for all those different groups. So let's say I was marketing it to young people. Um, I hear the latest word is, is woke now. So I probably have something like that. Are, are you woke on there? Um, come because it, it'll be sick or it'll be, I'll have some dope speakers on there because dope is young people's language. Now, if I was going to promote the same um, leadership package to uh, a group of pastors, well, there is no way I would have dope on the flyer or on any of the marketing material because you'd be amazed. Some of them would even take it literally. So and they'll be binding and, you know, and all the rest that they do. Um, so I wouldn't use that language. I would say something like, um, come and let the Holy Spirit minister to you, or, you know, that kind of thing. Why? Because that is their language. So can you see how important this is? You must be able to, to communicate the language that resonates with your target audience and influences them into buying. All right, uh, please don't forget to prompt me uh, when we're nearing the end. You're okay. 15 minutes away now. Okay, perfect, thank you so much. All right, who are your competitors? Now, one of the mistakes that we sometimes make is we, when we think of competitors is we think that we have to compete on price. And that's not true. And if you listen to the example I just gave, you, you remember that price sometimes is, is, is not the defining issue at all. And let me just say this, there is nothing like a product that is too expensive. I don't care how expensive your product is, there is a demographic that can pay for it. Now you can go down to Primark and, and buy a, a very decent bag for 15, 20 pounds. There's nothing wrong with a Primark bag. But we also know that there are people who are buying um, a Birkin bag. I was checking out one the other day on, online, 54,000 pounds with a, a, waiting, a waiting list of, of nearly three years, 54,000 pounds, but people are buying it. So there's nothing like a product that is too expensive. People can pay for it. So when you think about competitors, what you need to be thinking about is what are they offering 
How can I offer it better? That's what you need to be thinking about. Not necessarily um, the price. Okay, now here's what I want you to do when it comes to thinking about your business. I want you to think about your business as um, a sprint, maybe a 200 meter sprint. Now, from the minute your, your client or your potential client engages with you up until the time in which they hand over the money, it is a sprint. And in between that sprint from start to finish, there are a number of hurdles. Your job as a business owner is to remove as many hurdles in the buying process as possible. That's your job. And those hurdles can take the form of anything. I'll give an example. We used to have an office um, in, in Bexley Heath and it was in a really good location. It was in the, the shopping center, it was in the Broadway. So it was in a good location, but the entrance of that office was at the back of the building. So oftentimes we would have clients um, standing outside our office, say, calling the office and saying, listen, I can see your sign, but I can't find the entrance. Um, so that was a hurdle. In the end, we closed that, that particular branch down. That was a hurdle and had to be removed. It might be something like you don't have uh, on-site on, on parking. That could be a hurdle. Uh, it might be your opening hours. There was a particular business I wanted to open and I discovered that nine to five was not going to work for, for the group of people that I was looking for, for my demographic. So I changed the, the opening hours. So we were open from about, uh, I think it was 10 to seven. And after a while, we actually started doing home service for them. So look at your business, every aspect of your business and ask yourself the question, is this a hurdle? Is this a hurdle? If so, remove it as much, if, as much as possible. Steve Jobs, one of the things that made him successful, Steve Jobs said he used to tell his, engine, his designers, if any other Apple product, if people have to click more than three times to do whatever it is that they want to do on an Apple product, it is too complicated. I love that. So he was removing the hurdles. Okay, build a relationship with your client. The whole close, close, close of the, of the 90s and the noughties, that has gone. We're not doing that no more. We are now into relationship selling. So build a relationship with your client. You need to look at your guys amongst you. We get this probably better than the girls. You need to look at your relationship with your client like you are wooing a girl. So as you well know, rushing her to do too much too soon backfires. So don't do that. So often we're, we want to get to the sale. You need to woo your client. The fact that you are ready to sell doesn't mean your client is ready to buy. It might be six months down the line. I had a woman call me the other day. She said, I met you three years ago on a plane. Now I need your services. Three years. So make sure that you understand that. Um, find out their objections, their biases, and their preferences. It's important to know why is my buying client my client buying from me, but it's even more important to know what would stop my client from buying from me. What objections do they have? And I've mentioned a couple of them. What objections do they have? Is it a bias? Is it a bias? For instance, there's a particular company that, um, a particular business that my best friend and I uh, have. And the, 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 the clientele for that particular business, we know that they would not patronize us if they knew that it was a black owned business. We know that. Now we can bemoan the, the, um, the inequities and the, the hardships of that and, and the fact that that's not fair. Yes, we can bemoan that or we can just learn to play the game. And I prefer to just learn to play the game. Um, and so 
on the website of that particular business, we have a, a welcome video to that website. We have a Caucasian person fronting on, the, on that video. Um, because I know that there are supply biases, and that's fine. I understand that. And I've, I've removed the hurdle of that rather than lose the client. Okay, talk less, listen more. So especially when you do that initial spiel, when you go to the person's client's office and you, you're trying to tell them what it is you can do. Too many of us just talk, 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 talk about what we, can, what we do. Sit there and have a conversation with them. Sometimes I don't even talk about what it is I came to do. I just have a, a human, one human being to another. We talk about uh, the pictures of their children on the desk, the, the children doing their A-levels and how terrible it is that COVID has disrupted that. We just talk like human beings. By the time you do that and they're able to relate to you, remember people buy from those they like, they know, they trust. That's who people buy from. If they're able to relate to you, they're more likely to buy. I'm going as quickly as I can. Ask questions. Why do you want my services? Why do you want my services at this time? Just like was said earlier on, what exactly is the problem that you're having that you're hoping that my, my product or my service is going to solve? Find out. That will help you pitch your, your product at the right um, price level. Okay, uh, where am I? Networking. Um, how do I find your cl clients? You can network. Uh, if you're looking for a networking group, I'm the president and founder of um, a really good one, Black Businesses UK. If you go on Facebook, you'll find us. There's 6,000 members. It's one of the largest ones in the UK. It is for Black people. It's free. Overcoming embeddedness. Embeddedness is where you are dependent on your people group for your patronage. You need to make your product um, user-friendly to other people groups. Otherwise, you will lose money. Referrals and collaborations, very important, very underutilized in our industry. How does this work? Very, very simply. So let's say, for instance, I was a caterer. You look around for people who share the same client group. So who would share the same client group of, of caterers, photographers, event planners, video guys, um, hall decorators, that kind of thing. So you need to look for a group of people who are reliable, affordable, and reputable and work with them. And you tell them, listen, when I go to pitch my catering services, I'll also tell the client that I can provide the video guy, I can provide the photographer and all that. Anybody I refer to you, I'm taking 20%. Don't be greedy. 10, 20% is fine. Uh, and then work with them. You are not doing anything extra. You are now getting another income stream from five other people that you would not normally get. Very, very simple. Collaborations I'll talk about in a minute. The flyers, now that we're at home, people are now looking at flyers a bit more, local newspapers and publications, friends and family. Um, your signature on your email um, is a very missed opportunity. So put something on there that tells them what you do. Uh, your voicemail, I cannot tell you the number of people who will call me and say, you know what, Bibi, your voicemail was so inspired me. Some a guy came to do my roof the other day. He said, when I rang your, your phone and I listened to that voicemail, I actually dialed it again to hear it again. And when I got home, I told my wife to listen to it. And all it is is I put my strap line on there. Don't let life dictate to you. Rather, put your signature on life. He said, when I read that, uh, when I heard that, I went and looked for you online and I discovered that you're a speaker. Please, next time you're speaking, let me know, I'd like to attend. Isn't that amazing? Just from the voicemail. And of course your website, drive traffic there. I wanna very quickly do this finance. People underestimate what they need money for when they start a business. 
you need finance for staff, stationery, marketing, rent, professional services, bills, hospitality. You need working capital and capital investment. Working capital is capital you need to um, keep the business ticking over on a daily basis. Capital investment is for your more heavy duty stuff, computer system, um, your telephone system, salaries, that kind of thing. Okay. When you think about staff, don't just think about wages. And please think staff. We've got to get away from the small business. We've got to grow. Think growth. Think growth. Have a growth strategy. If you don't know how to grow, hire people who, who can show you how to do that. Um, so you need stationery, you know, your marketing material, that kind of thing. You need money for all that. Where do you find the money? One, personal assets. Now, this is where having different income streams is important. So if, for instance, you have a property portfolio and you see a business opportunity, you might remortgage your property to, to take some money out and, and pump it into the business. You could do something like that. Um, or if you have a share portfolio, you could li liquidify your shares and pump the money into the business, anything. Angel investors, they do exist, particularly in the community, they do exist. You've got to be careful with angel investors because sometimes they turn into devil investors. Uh, when an angel investor invests in your business, it doesn't just pump in money, he's bringing expertise, he's bringing his industry contacts, and it is not unusual for them to grow the business to a certain level and inch you out of the business. Because oftentimes we're so desperate to lay our hands on the money that we don't hire lawyers to look at the paperwork. So you've got to watch out for angel investors, but they're fantastic to have. Many dreams would have died, but for angel investors, family and friends, Listen, if you've got money sitting in the bank, I don't know what your interest rate is, it is rotting there. Put your money works. The money sitting in, in, in the bank doing nothing. Ask them, ask them to invest in your business. Credit cards, I'm almost loath to mention this. If you don't have the the um, if you don't have the discipline, then don't go there. But if you do, credit cards can help you, particularly in the short term. Systems in place that ensure that your business is not dependent on you, on your physical presence to generate income. What do I mean by that? If you have to be physically present in an office in order for that business to make money, and I respectfully, I suggest that what you have produced is not a business, it is a job. The very thing that you are trying to escape from. So you need to either build a team that understand your vision and can uh, run with your vision, either that, or you need to automate your systems so that everything as much as possible is online.